The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, very warm welcome to Squawkbox, everybody, with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore, myself, Steve Sedgwick. These are your headlines. The Vice President, Mike Pence, rejects calls to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the President, setting up a political showdown in Washington. The impeachment hoax is a continuation of the greatest and most vicious witch hunt in the history of our country and is causing tremendous anger and division and pain, far greater than most people will ever understand. Google suspends President Trump's YouTube account for at least a week and disables comments indefinitely, saying some of the uploads violate its policies and citing concerns for potential violence. Deutsche Post hikes its outlook, citing a pandemic-induced e-commerce boom. This says uh, the group posts a 56% jump in preliminary queue for operating profit. We're going to be speaking to the CEO, Frank Apple, in an exclusive interview in one hour's time. Canadian convenience store group Accouchetart is in talks to buy French retailer Carrefour in a deal that would merge two retail giants worth a combined $50 billion. And the U.S. revises its vaccination strategy, asking states to vaccinate anybody 65 years or older. The Pfizer CEO has welcomed the news in an exclusive CNBC interview. This is very positive. I think this is exactly what needs to be done. And I think so far, uh, I don't think that we have an issue of offering uh, less vaccines than the country or the countries, frankly, need. Welcome to the show. The U.S. Vice President Mike Pence says he will not invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the President, Mr. Trump, from office following last week's deadly siege on the Capitol. In a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Pence says it is, quote, not in the interest of the country. Uh, the House now will begin debating on impeaching President Trump later today, potentially making him the first president in history to be impeached twice. At least four Republicans have joined Democrats in their efforts to impeach the president. Now, importantly, Liz Cheney, she's in the House, OK, not in the Senate. This is very important. The House versus the Senate. Liz Cheney, who is the highest ranking Republican so far to call for the president's impeachment. She's the third highest, by the way, in, in the House. Uh, she's the latest in the wake of Wednesday's deadly Capitol Hill riot. Three other Republican House members, John Katko, Adam Kinzinger uh, and Fred Upton, said they would also vote for the impeachment. You've got to remember, last time round, pretty much no Republicans in the House uh, went with the Democrats on this one as well. Now, the president, uh, as you can expect, uh, he was at a very symbolic place yesterday. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. President Trump has called uh, this, uh, basically, has said he's dismissing his calls for his removal. Free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. The impeachment hoax is a continuation of the greatest and most vicious witch hunt in the history of our country 
and is causing tremendous anger and division and pain, far greater than most people will ever understand, which is very dangerous for the USA, especially at this very tender time. YouTube has joined other social media giants in taking action against President Trump, banning him from uploading new content for at least seven days. The Google-owned company has also disabled comments on Trump's channel indefinitely, citing concerns about violence. This follows similar moves by Facebook and Twitter. Let's take a quick look at uh, how U.S. futures are setting up. Uh, don't forget social media stocks were some of the underperformers in the session yesterday. We are chasing uh, some slim gains at this early stage, as you can see on Dow Jones futures there. Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. Let's talk about Mike Pompeo. The U.S. Secretary of State has cancelled an official visit to Europe. That was slated to be his last overseas trip. Officials from Luxembourg and the EU reportedly snubbed Pompeo, refusing to meet with him in the wake of the Capitol Hill riots. The Secretary of State's team insists the decision was made in order to allow him to continue working on Joe Biden's transition. Well, if that is the case, then I guess all well and good. Uh, But if it is actually a diplomatic snub here, it does feel a little bit churlish. I know the Europeans um, over the last four years have felt somewhat hectored and lectured at by the uh, uh, Trump administration here. But it does seem um, a a little bit uh, churlish, as I say, in in the final days here to tell the Secretary of State of the United States that he is not welcome here. And I don't think it sends a particularly good message. Let's set aside the man, Mike Pompeo, a youngish 57, still may have uh, something of a, a diplomatic or a political career ahead of him if he so chooses that. So he may be around a little bit longer in the US political system. But the point is, this is the office of the Secretary of State of the United States. And you have uh, uh, told the holder of that uh, office not to come to Europe, if that is the case, of course, because we're working on reports here. And I would just remind our friends in uh, Europe who may uh, dislike the uh, person of Mike Pompeo but would like to meet up with the U.S. Secretary of State, that there's so much unfinished business between uh, Europe and the United States um, that was uh, initiated by this administration, and I suspect will be continued by the next administration, like the question of Airbus tariffs, like the question of what happens to Nord Stream 2, and whether European companies that are involved in that project are ultimately going to face further difficulties from the Biden administration, guys. Um, Jeff, I know that we're all very keen to talk about the impeachment process and what happens next on Capitol Hill, indeed events around the inauguration. But I might just, if I may disagree with you slightly about this, I think you can actually frame this, funnily enough, in the the last comment you made there in a Nord Stream 2 context as well, because there is a Reuters report uh, talking about late moves, late in this presidency, late from the current Secretary of State, uh, to actually tell US companies that they face sanctions if indeed they facilitate uh, the construction of Nord Stream 2. So you could actually frame it in a diplomatic spat around that area as well, which would make it perhaps more of a context about European matters uh, and the US trying to impose their will on that. And of course, we saw that quite stunning scene uh, a couple of years ago where 
um, the Secretary General of NATO was taken to task by the President because of German uh, construction of the Nord Stream 2 as well, which of course would mean more Russian gas coming in as opposed to US LNG. It's one of those live feeds you never forget, right? I will <laughs> never forget that moment. And uh, of course, the Secretary General of NATO, right. uh, a former Prime Minister of Norway. He's a very savvy operator, but he was taken to task like a naughty schoolboy by the president. We were on air at the time, and you see this come through live, and the events unfolding around Nord Stream are just incredible. So about the impeachment? Yeah, noisy old end to the administration, and the impeachment yesterday uh, proceedings, I think, just taking another turn. For me, the most stunning was the commentary that was in the New York Times about whether Mitch McConnell was uh, secretly supporting impeachment process by the Democrats. I thought that was just remarkable that maybe there were moves afoot by the Republicans to try and end this chapter that they've witnessed under Trump and trying to push the party forward for the, the next four years that maybe they don't want Trump himself to be the candidate uh, down the track as well. I, I think you're right. I, I think Mitch McConnell is at the moment the pivotal figure in this impeachment um, process as well. We know that there are certain... Rep- and look, let, this impeachment will be passed uh, in, in, in the House as well. So when it goes up to the Senate is very important. When it goes, does it go immediately? So they try and get this done before the Biden agenda? Or, or do they wait, as, as one um, US senior Democrat politician was saying, whether wait with the articles of impeachment to go up to the Senate until Mr Biden's had 100 days or so to get on with his agenda? But, but, but I, I think what is very interesting is McConnell's point, as you say, because we know that certain US senators will go for this. We know that Mitt Romney will we'll go for it as well. We know that perhaps Pat Tomey will. We know uh, Lisa Murkowski of, of Alaska will as well. But that gives you potentially 53 if every Democrat goes as well. You're not at the 67, the two-thirds you need to be in order to get impeached. But is it better for Mr McConnell to have um, Trump out of potential running uh, for the presidency in 2024 and, of course, the dominant force in 2022 at the midterms as well? Or is it better to keep him on board? Yeah, 17 Republicans is what you need out of the 100-member the chamber to turn to, okay. to support some of these measures. Jeff? Jeff? Yeah, no, I, I just think, uh, to, to pick up on, on Steve's point, um, does the Republican Party want to launch civil war within its own ranks? Uh, and um, also, I think it needs to be very careful about the mood across the country. I mean, there were those FBI reports of um, plans, um, suggestion of plans anyway, that armed groups would make themselves present in capitals of states uh, around the time of the inauguration. Now, I think all of that is very worrying. And obviously, we don't want to see um, any further harm come to anybody. And interesting that incitement is being used as the argument uh, for this impeachment here. But I do think the Republicans um, that may be thinking of uh, voting in the Senate on the side of the impeachment will have to think very long and hard about that because do they want a big interregnum in the Republican Party where perhaps it sits out of political power for a couple of presidential terms because um, it is just focused on infighting? And also, does it need to be a little bit careful about um, generating anger and hostility in those who may have uh, thrown their hat in with President Trump over the last four years? But as we know, uh, have legitimate reasons to be angry about issues like healthcare, the distribution of wealth, and how many of them feel that they've been left behind and haven't had their chance at the American dream. So while this is uh, a bit of a circus at the moment around the potential for uh, President Trump to be impeached, uh, the first ever on this 
this charge of incitement. I do think the politicians need to be treading a little bit carefully in terms of of what anger they may generate or backlash at a time when President Biden, of course, uh, has given terrific speeches about the need to heal the country. Yeah, but but all incoming give terrific speeches, don't they, Jeff, about uh, needing to heal the country? I think even Trump said something about that uh, when he was inaugurated. I'll just say to you about this interregnum you were talking about, about this civil war in the Republican Party. It's there. To be fair, there's a big dispute in, in the Democrat Party as well. But while we're talking about the Republicans, this has been going on way before Mr. Trump, but it's just coming to a head now. And uh, and, and it happened with the, the Tea Party. It happened with Sarah Palin as the, as the VP pick potentially uh, for Mr. McCain. You can go back to 1960-64 with the likes of Barry Goldwater. So that battle within the Republican Party for its soul has been there for decades as well. But they have to work out ahead of the 2022 uh, midterms whether if they're going to go towards the centre and try and pick up those moderate voters in in, uh, states such as Atlantic, which never, ever voted Democrat hardly at all, and are now moving towards that uh, more centrist stance. Or do they stick with these people on the left-hand side, not fringe, uh, but on sorry, but on the right hand side of the party, who are, as you say, more aggressive uh, towards uh, bipartisan manoeuvres as well. So I think that battle happens regardless in the Republican Party. But um, we have to part that one there. For, but in the meantime, the markets really ignoring the politics and these extraordinary events. Yeah, we're talking about how dominant has been a theme for major headlines in the United States and the politics are very much uh, watchful eyes how the markets are keeping an eye on the developments but you can see uh, we're still uh, tracking close to some of the records we witnessed last week. Markets have been uh, naturally a little bit more cautious this week as they waited out for more detail around uh, what the Democrats uh, intend to do with any spending plans around infrastructure but uh, so far we moved higher by about two tenths on the Dow. A little bit firmer on the NASDAQ, although the undercurrent still around some of those big technology names was a little bit weaker. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But as we set up this week on markets, we're also talking about earnings season. The bank's very much in focus. And one of the big movers for the Dow was Goldman Sachs. If you take a look at some big banking stocks, you can see how it plays out. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, having the biggest uh, contribution to the fortunes of the Dow. As you can see, uh, the stock trading down half of a percent. Also, uh, some of the other moves, 1.5% on JP Morgan, a bounce of 2.1% on Wells Fargo. So uh, the banking stocks moving to the upside mostly. A couple of patches of weakness around some of the big investment banks. Uh, US technology, uh, this is how we're looking across the board. It was a social media day that investors again uh, took stock of for Facebook and Twitter. The implications that you're witnessing around the potential for further regulation, much steeper falls a day earlier, but in session yesterday coming off about 2 percent on those particular names. Uh, Treasuries, Let's take a look at what we've got now on the boards. We've peeled off some of the higher ranges, about 1.18% we saw in trade yesterday. But just coming off that level to 1.12 this morning, the US two-year 0.14. So uh, this morning with these moves lower, slight flattening versus the steepening that we've witnessed in recent sessions. But uh, investors are, again, closely eyeing the devil in the detail around some of the stimulus later on when Biden speaks this week. Uh, let's take a look at the oil trade. We have seen a uh, strong trade uh, in in the price action, WTI uh, climbing to uh, 53.79 at this stage was a little bit higher, but this is uh, the strongest level we've seen on the board since February. A much larger than expected decline in U.S. crude inventory is driving that price action this morning. Brent prices support almost 1.2% firmer, and you can see popping above $57. Jeff. 
Terrific, Cara. Thank you. Matt Orton joins us, Vice President and Portfolio Specialist of Carillon Tower Advisors. Matt comes to us from Florida, where I think the mercury may hit a balmy 16 degrees today. Matt, very good morning. Karen mentioned the earnings. Let me just ask you about that. Refinitiv have in fourth quarter earnings to fall 9.8%, revenues to fall 1.3%. That would give us an overall decline for 2020 earnings of a little over 15%. If the numbers come in better than that, how do you think the market will react? Morning, Jeff. It's great to be here. And your point about earnings season, I think, is very, very important because markets have moved a significant amount over the past quarter or so. They've moved pretty significantly even this year. And earnings are really where we're going to see the rubber meet the road. Um, Expectations are for, for a slight decline with an acceleration heading into the second half of the year. But I think even beyond the absolute numbers of what earnings are reported, What's going to be really, really important is the guidance that management gives. And especially for financials that are going to start reporting on Thursday, what's going to be critical to look at is what management teams are saying about the economy and about the consumer going forward. Um, are write-offs going to be less than expected? Is the consumer expected to be in good shape going forward to support this sort of reopening trade that a lot of the companies in, in the U.S. markets have been moving on. So I think if guidance comes in stronger than expected, I think that's going to be very supportive for the markets going forward and especially supportive for companies that are sensitive to this reopening theme. If there's some weakness involved, I think that could be a little bit of a catalyst to cause a setback which quite frankly, I think is where we're overdue for right now to have some sort of consolidation uh, so we can build a nice base on which we can build going into the next part of the year. Yeah, that's fascinating because I I think, as you point out in your notes here, we look pretty rich with the S&P sitting around uh, 27 times, somewhere near its 2020 high. Um, So there's an awful lot of um, hope built into those multiples at this stage. If you think we're going to have a pullback here, when does that happen? How much does the market come off? And then what do you do with that pullback in terms of building back positions? I do think we're likely to see some sort of pullback during the first quarter because there is so much optimism that's built into the market right now and there's a lot of fast money that has come into the market chasing some of these different types of trades and as you know we serve a number of different clients from global pension funds all the way to to financial advisors here in the u.s and the one consistent message that that we've been telling them is to let the markets come to you especially when we have moved so significantly i mean small caps had just posted the best quarter in history in the fourth quarter and are up significantly in the first week or so of this year. Uh, I certainly think small caps are a favorable place to be in this year, especially if we start to see better economic growth, um, increasing interest rates here in the U.S. But some sort of pullback, I think, is definitely necessary to reset our expectations so that we can continue to build. Because quite frankly, the longer we go without some sort of pullback or even a consolidation through time where we start to move sideways, the more we set ourselves up for a sharper or more painful pullback that can happen very, very quickly. So it's perfectly healthy within the context of a bull market to have a 5 or 10% pullback. 
Yeah, Matt, I hear you. We're up 120% off our record low on those small caps you just mentioned, the Russell 2K. But but the advocates of the further big rally from here, regardless of your pullback scenario, which which I have a lot of sympathy for, they are saying, yeah, yeah, but last time we were trading at these kind of valuations, we had 3% treasury yields or we had uh, 4% treasury or whatever it was on those high yields. Now we have to look at these valuations in the, 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 the prism of, of treasury yields, which we're all getting excited about, 1.14 as well. So in terms of the relative valuation story, do you have any sympathy for those people? I do. And I think it's a great point that you bring up because valuation matters until it doesn't. And it's really, really hard to say when valuation's not going to matter anymore. I mean, we, we've almost doubled on the 10-year from the lows that we had back in March and April. We're at 112 or so this morning, and rates are definitely moving higher. But think back to where we were just at the start of 20, uh, 2020 rates were 1.8 or so. We still have a really long way to go, even before we're back to where we were at the start of next year. So even though rates have started to move higher, the environment that we're in, even if we push 140, 150 on the 10-year, these levels are still extremely supportive uh, of more rich valuations, especially when you look at that trade-off between fixed income to equities. So it certainly can support valuations. And at the end of the day, a lot of these companies, small cap companies in particular, are posting very, very accelerated top-line growth. And in an environment where investors are starved for growth, there's a reason for them to be rewarded. And I think that can continue as you go into the back half of next year, especially if GDP growth starts to materialize in the way that investors are expecting it to. And Matt, we're on the cusp of a slower bank earnings uh, and uh, what we've seen in recent months, a continuation of very strong transactional volumes uh, on the market, which is a supportive backdrop for the banks. On top of that uh, steepening yield curve that we're witnessing as we talk about this reflation trade, what do you make of some of the positive catalysts for the banks and how they should trade from here? So banks are interesting because I think there's two different things that are working in the favor of banks. Firstly, valuation, I think, has worked in the favor of banks because they have been incredibly cheap for a very, very long time. You've had a number of money center banks trading at less than one times price of tangible book value, which in a historical context is, is, is screams cheap to me. So I think you're having a re-rating in terms of what investors are willing to pay for banks moving forward, uh, especially in light of increasing interest rates. And then what else has been moving banks, and especially banks down the market cap spectrum that are more dependent on net interest margin, is not just the rise in rates, but it's also the steepening of the yield curve that you had mentioned earlier. Uh, the, the yield curve has steepened fairly significantly from where we were even a couple of months ago, I think baking in expectations expectations of better economic growth. And so if we can maintain these levels uh, on the curve and the steepness of the curve that we have, that should be supportive to margins and some sort of earnings growth for banks. And I think it especially matters down the market cap, which wow. is probably why you've seen such a strong rally in places like small cap value, where, where smaller regional financials uh, are a much larger percentage of the index. Matt, that's great. Just, just confirming, are you still on Tuesday or is it Wednesday where you are? <laughs> it's just turned to Wednesday know, about an hour ago. But I mean, in terms of you, you, you haven't got a bed yet, is what I'm saying. No, no, not yet. You know, quarter, quarter end, uh, you know, it's hard to get any good sleep. You have stamina, uh, uh, I don't know, a rhino. Well done, Matt. Thank you very much indeed for that. <laughs>
quite extraordinary. 120, can you imagine an interview at 122 in the morning? And uh, wow. beautifully dressed or yeah, fresh as a great. daisy. Mind I think you, we'd look at them differently. Uh, Matt Orton, Vice President and Portfolio Specialist at Carolyn uh, Tower Advisors. They, they all want to come on Squawk, that's the thing you see. Doesn't matter what time of day it is, or night. Right, okay, coming up on the show, uh, Deutsche Post upgrades its outlook after a bumper fourth quarter. We'll have more coming up next. And for more on the Democrats' attempts to remove President Trump from office, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. We have some news crossing from Telefonica, and uh, this uh, is regarding its unit, Telexius Telecom, which has signed an agreement with American Tower Corporation for the sale of its telecommunications towers division. And the deal is uh, for 7.7 billion euros payable in cash. Uh, it establishes the sale of a number of approximately 30,722 telecommunication tower sites. Uh, the sale provides for a commitment to the employment by ATC and the capital gain attributable to Telefonica is estimated to be around 3.5 billion euros. Once this transaction is complete, uh, Telefonica Group's net financial debt will be reduced by about 4.6 billion euros. Uh, so uh, that is the latest around uh, this uh, particular unit uh, at Telefonica. Just to give you a bit of context, and you know this was like when Vodafone sold their towers as well. The big blip in the share price was actually it didn't really happen. So um, it, you know, it seems a good idea for the balance sheet, but it doesn't always result in the results you want. Okay, let's move on. Deutsche Post has raised its 2022 outlook after operating profit jumped 56% in the fourth quarter. The German post and freight group was boosted by a surge in, yes, you guessed it, e-commerce during the pandemic. So, Aneta, ahead of our great interview later on with the CEO, what should we be looking for? What should we be asking? Well, actually, it's quite interesting that they're really optimistic also that this trend will continue because they're not only saying they earned more than analysts had expected and that they that's why they also went to the market with an ad hoc yesterday afternoon. So essentially, now EBIT will be at $4.8 billion for last year. That's more than all analysts had expected. It's also that they're saying that 2021 and 2022 will be higher than um, currently was expected by analysts. So this trend will continue. And at the same time, they're also ordering eight more freight aircraft from Boeing because clearly that demand also needs to needs to find its supply from their side. So the express business, DHL, is where they are growing. And if you look at um, how DHL was doing in the last quarter, they um, had a plus of 12% uh, and uh, a revenue of 19.1 billion euros. So essentially, the company is saying it was an exceptional year, but now they're concentrating on transporting the COVID-19 vaccine across the world. So it's 
of course, them helping uh, to combat the pandemia, but also the general trend of getting more and more um, international trade is helping them as well. Because while that's what they're saying as well, while we're seeing some standstill in certain areas of the economy, um, the world trade business actually very much intact. There's no pause when it comes to world trade. And that's why I'm so optimistic about the future. I guess it will be interesting whether this will change anything in their dividend policy, whether this will change anything in what they are pledging to shareholders, because their shares, they hit a record high this year. Now they are barely trading below it. But if you compare their valuation, for example, to their big competitor, UPS, that there's still room for improvement. UPS is currently trading um, at a price to EPS at 19. Um, Deutsche Post is trading at 15. The same holds true for the enterprise value to EBDA valuation. UB UPS is at 13 and Deutsche Post at only seven. So there's still room for like an uptick in valuation. Perhaps it's also depending on where they're trading, but still I think that is worth to ask. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.